surrounding the birth of Jesus do not seem consistent with that of royalty. The early chapters of Matthew do not appear to describe the king of the universe. Perhaps the story of Jesus that is recorded is that of a different kind of king. King Jesus is not born in some far-off castle or with great fanfare. Instead, he was born into the muck and mire of the world he came to serve. It is unlikely, but this is how we encounter our king and discover his kingdom. Who is on the throne of your heart? Powerful question. Who's on the throne of our hearts? When Jesus arrived on this earth as a, as a baby, the, the people had been looking for literally a king, a Messiah. They, they expected a real king. That's what they were looking for. And yet they didn't recognize him. And so many times today we fail to recognize the king as well and his kingdom. We see a little baby at this time of year in a, in a cradle, but we forget that he grew up into a man that gave his life for us. We fail to follow the man, just think of the baby. And today we're going to be looking at the concept of this kingdom living and seek first, how that needs to be priority in our lives. Jesus teaches us about this upside-down living, different than the world defines and describes. And having our lives ordered by a different set of priorities is, is a big part of kingdom living, of having Jesus as our king. Well, it is the holiday season, a time to pull out all those wonderful recipes and fantastic dishes and desserts. Many of you have already been in the kitchen working, right? Preparing for those wonderful times with family. So for those of you who are cooks for this time of year, do you have a favorite recipe for this time of year? I have favorite recipes from those who cook in our house, which I'm not one of those people. So where did you get this, fa this favorite recipe? Was it from your grandmother, an aunt, an uncle, your mom? Did you go online and find it? Chances are, if you're a recipe follower, you followed it the first time, but you started making some tweaks and changes to the recipe to make it one that became a favorite of, of your family. Recipes. I have to tell you, recipes don't make a lot of sense to me. I'm not a cook at all. And so sometimes Brenda says, oh, I found this great recipe. And she starts telling me the ingredients that are going to be in it. And I have to tell you, it doesn't sound good. I don't think I, I want it. I mean, I don't sit around saying, mmm, boy, have a little oregano right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just not, not a part of who I am. And yet when she makes the dish, it's pretty good. In the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to look at today, Jesus gives the recipe for kingdom living. And for a lot of people that were listening to him then, it didn't make much sense. It didn't look or sound like something they wanted to pursue. Truth be told, even today... For many people, it doesn't make sense. And yet, in this kingdom, our Creator gave us a recipe for life. Life in the kingdom. But Jesus didn't just tell us how to do it. He went ahead and showed us what it looked like in His life. He both taught and then He lived it out. All right, talking about recipes makes me think about desserts. Do you recognize this one? How many of you ever had a uh, pineapple upside-down cake? Oh, yeah, a lot of you. How many of you ever made one? Ah, several. Several of you have. That's, that's great. 
It's probably not a holiday favorite for most, unless you're from Hawaii. But it's uh, yeah, some of you it is, yeah. But it's it's interesting to cook that. Um, it's it's one of those things that doesn't necessarily make sense in the recipe, because when you make it, you know, you put the pineapple and the maraschino cherry in the pan first, and then you follow it up with the the cake batter, and then you bake it, and it doesn't look that appealing until you take it out and flip it over and take off the pan, and there you have this, this visually appealing and delicious dessert, a pineapple upside down cake. The point I'm trying to make is the concept of flipping something upside down to reveal its true beauty or flavor helps us understand the upside down nature of the kingdom. In God's kingdom, the things that matter most go in first what we value and, and what's most important. And then when the world flips us upside down, then the beauty of kingdom living and why we put that in first, what the priority first, shows. It becomes appealing, and it shows the goodness of living in this kingdom. And when we turn, get turned upside down, we discover those unexpected and transformative blessings of being, being a part of God's kingdom. All right, talking about desserts has me thinking of one of my favorites. Anybody else? Derek King Blizzard. Okay, just out loud, tell me your favorite Blizzard. Thank you. I did not hear mine. I was listening pretty careful. I have a hard time finding it sometimes. My favorite is banana pudding. I don't know if you've ever been to a place that has that one. But we have our fla favorite flavors at Dairy Queen. And I know some of you are true connoisseurs of the blizzard. And for those of you who are, then you know how it's served. Upside down or it's free. That's how you know it's made properly. If you flip it upside down and it doesn't fall out, you know it's made right. It makes me wonder about those that aren't made right. Or the, the guy working behind the counter in training. What happens then? But you can tell it's made properly when you turn it upside down. It sticks. And in life, sometimes you can tell we're truly living in the kingdom is when this world flips us upside down and it sticks. Then we're doing it right. But it means different than what the world describes. Jesus makes this point over and over in Matthew 5. We're just going to look at a few examples, beginning in verse 38. He says, You've heard that it was said, Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. I mean, in this world, the recipe is if somebody hits you or, or is mean to you, you, you show revenge, you retaliate, you act back at them. You treat them wrong. You treat those who hurt you in hurtful ways. And yet Jesus says, in kingdom, we do the opposite. He continued in verse 40, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He addresses the times in life when the world and, and life is not fair. When people take advantage of us. And he says we don't just react to what the world gives us. Instead, in the kingdom, we take a positive action with kingdom living, and we give up more. We go that second mile. 
And he continues in verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Well, enemies and persecution were prevalent in the day Jesus wrote that. And in a very real sense, they're still around these days. Of course, when you think of enemy, a lot of times you think of a physical conflict that's taking place. But there's great truth that in life, enemies are anyone, those who we're in conflict with, who oppose us, whether it's in our beliefs or actions or attitudes. Those who have wronged us in conflict with us. And it could include our, our former friends, maybe a difficult family member, adversaries in the workplace. It's, it's those who oppose our values and oppose our way of living. But I'd also point out that sometimes there's internal enemies as well. Sometimes we can be our own enemy. This happens when we have this internal struggle with a part of ourselves that we're in conflict with. It might be our own prejudices, our own fears or negative tendencies. Sometimes we are that enemy. And Jesus is saying when we face our enemies, we do something very radical and counterintuitive. We're to love them. Those that we feel like least deserves love, even if it's myself, we love. Well, this, is, this teaching is a hallmark of this upside-down living that God talks about. It reflects a powerful expression, the powerful expression of God's love for us while we were still His enemy. When we needed it, He gave us love unconditionally and all-encompassing. And we need to love our enemies with that same direct directive. We need to extend grace and compassion in all areas of conflict and opposition. And he also talks about times of persecution, which of course can include suffering in a lot of different ways for our faith. Back when he said this, those first listeners would have thought about physical persecution. I mean physically. And historically that was true, but it doesn't mean that it's not a present reality in various forms in our lives today. And it can include things like discrimination or being socially rejected. It, it means when we're pushed out to the margins and marginalized in society because of our values and our faith. And he says, for those who do that, we pray for them. That's what life's like in this kingdom. In verse 19, he continues, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And Jesus addresses a very prevalent mindset of the society then, and even more so, I would argue, of our society now. How there's this eternal significance in what we invest our lives and our time in. And investing in heavenly treasures instead of earthly possessions is crucial for that. And Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount and talks about a variety of these things. Maybe in life you've heard this phrase from someone who was having a hard time agreeing with what you were saying. You ever heard this phrase before? Yeah, but. It's when you're trying to express your feelings or your thoughts on a matter... And they hear what you're saying, but they're having a really hard time going there themselves. And so they say, yeah, 
Enoch, which means, okay, I kind of heard what you're saying. Yeah, but, and then they, they put the counter on it. Listen, for Jesus' first listeners, the ones that heard him say these words, I think he knew that what they were thinking in, his, in their minds was, yeah, Jesus, that sounds good, but... In fact, I think he preempts a lot of that. So every time I hear Jesus say, you have heard, but I say, it's almost like he's addressing that. Yeah, but... And he says that. You've heard this about murder, but let me tell you about anger or about adultery. And over and over, verse 21, verse 27, verse 31, verse 33, verse 38, verse 43, he continues to say... He anticipates, you're saying, yeah, but but let me tell you what kingdom living is. It is different. You've heard it said. And Jesus is trying to lead each of them and us on this deeper path to understanding what kingdom living is all about. What's the priorities? How to live this fulfilling life in his kingdom. And then he gets to these words in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the first thing in the pan. That's what defines the dish. And for Christian living, life in this kingdom, the first thing is seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the first thing in. Then it gives a godly, a Christ-like perspective on this kingdom living. And we need to push back against what the world says. Because what the world says to seek first is material success and physical comfort. I mean, that's its recipe. That's what makes sense if you live in this world. That'd be the first thing in. And then he says in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than than food? And the body more than clothes. So, do you know what your next meal is going to be? You know what's for lunch? I do. I know what we're having. I'm looking forward to it, actually. It's a favorite meal of mine. Yeah. Do you know what's for supper? I know what I'll be doing for supper. See, I hardly finish a meal until I've been thinking about the next one. And sometimes I plan them well in advance. I have plans for the next three meals of my life. Do you? I mean, I'm just that kind of person. Do you know what you're going to wear tomorrow? You know, for a lot of us, we are very mindful of our, our body and our physical comfort and our material success. We, we just can't help it. It's what we, what's been modeled for us by this world. It's what we see everywhere around us. Jesus tries to say, in this kingdom, you're going to seek something different first. And so he uses the examples of the birds of the air in verse 26. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus points to the birds of the air and speaks to, it, to our concern of being fed. And believe me, when he first said this, It was a different world than ours. I I mean, my closet is full of clothes. I have lots of shoes in my closet. You probably do as well. I'm older than many of you, 
But my father, when he was a young man, my father, one generation back, when he was a young man, could not have said that. He was fortunate to have one pair of shoes. He usually had one pair of shoes and maybe two outfits. And his father, two generations back from me, couldn't even say that. I mean, we, your, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, they were concerned about what they were going to wear. When Jesus said these words, it was even different. When Jesus said these words, clothes were very expensive. You didn't have multiple outfits. You had one. You had one cloak. You had one tunic. It's, that's all you could afford. And it, it took a lot of money to buy that. I mean, you had to invest a tremendous amount of your, your year's wages to get clothes. Clothes were very expensive. And the same with food. Food was, I mean, they were worried about that next meal. And not just that next meal, but what they were going to drink as well. And Jesus continues, verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the Flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. God provides for us. And he continues on in verse 31. So don't worry about saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And so we pursue these things. They were pursuing what they were going to eat. They, they, didn't, they just hoped they would have food or what they were going to drink. You know, it's not like, we're first listeners, it wasn't like they had tap water. In fact, they were in a very arid area. And sometimes they didn't know if they would have something to drink. Me, I mean, some of you have a drink with you right now. I do. You know, I'm not worried about dying of thirst. What I'm concerned about is getting my caffeine early enough in the morning to avoid the headache, you know. That's my biggest concern with drink, and so I plan for it. He says, you're, you're worried about these things. What shall we eat, and what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? That's what the pagans run up. That's what the world shows you you should pursue. But God knows we need them. In the kingdom, it's a different pursuit. I mean, in this world, we have all the things that we want, so we work so that we can have some more. And when that's not enough... We worry, and we plan, and we work some more. And when that's not enough, we pinch, and we save, and we work some more. And what kind of life do we have? What kind of health do we enjoy? Jesus makes the point vividly then and now. It, is, it not, is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Because life is not just sustained by food, not life in the kingdom. And peace and comfort in the kingdom is not just found in things. He's calling us to more than just physical existence. He's talking about our spiritual and emotional well-being. But he's addressing the basic necessities that sustain life and going deeper. He's asking us to focus less on these worldly anxieties and to move more towards seeking God's kingdom. Because what does all this worry get you? Verse 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And the answer is no. The only one that can add time to your life is God and living his way. When I worry, it means I am allowing something else to take first place 
in my life. And when I put anything first place above God, I am making that my God. And that's why God told us. I mean, that, that was his law. He is supposed to be first. Have no other gods before me. In the kingdom, life comes from God. So let's give him our life. Each area of our life. That includes our dating, our relationships, our careers, our families, our education, our retirement. Make him first in all areas. Stop living for things and start living for God. And when we do that, verse 34, we don't have to worry. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So when I was younger and you had a job out here, but the job, your main job, where you made most of your money wasn't enough for what you wanted, you would get a second job, maybe a night job. We called it back in the day moonlighting. I don't even know if you know what that phrase even means anymore. Some of you old timers do. Maybe you call it a side hustle now. I don't know what, what they're called. It's when the main job doesn't give you everything you want or, or need, and so you work harder and you get a secondary, a side hustle. To provide for it. And I'm afraid in many of our lives, many of us are, are believers. We gave our life to Christ. We're Christians. And, and we try and fall. I mean, that's, we say that's our main thing. But you know what, God? It doesn't really give me everything I want. So I'm going to do a little side hustle. I'm going to moonlight a little bit. And I'm going to add some of these worldly values and things to it. Just kind of round out life and, and fill, fill in life just a little bit. But kingdom living, seeking the kingdom first, means it's first in all areas. We rely on him. Jesus is trying to teach. He provides all the needs of our life. Don't turn to the world. Instead of putting Christ in last in our life, we put it first. Because life is going to flip us upside down. And then we'll see. What's first? What's at the core? When done right, you can turn our lives upside down, and we don't fall apart. That's what Matthew 6.33 is saying. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus' teaching and the Sermon on the Mount is revealing this upside-down kingdom living, the nature of living in this kingdom. He makes a point over and over in the Beatitudes. I'm just going to point out a couple of them. First of all, when the world looks at believers in the kingdom, sometimes they see poor people. And Jesus taught, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They might think we're poor, but we are the kingdom. He continued on in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, right living. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we face hardships for living right, when we feel put down, Jesus says, ours is the kingdom of heaven. We're rich. And what does what a kingdom people pray for? In his model prayer, Jesus included these words. Pray your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The upside-down nature of the kingdom. It often presents itself in unexpected yet wonderfully right ways. And our faith needs to be so grounded in God's principles that even when turned upside down, it holds true and firm. We need to be people who seek God's kingdom as our main purpose, as our main ingredient in life above all else. And so I hope the words of Matthew 6.33 become our declaration of commitment to seeking God's kingdom. While so many people are chasing after the wind, let us be chasing after his kingdom and his righteousness. May we be people that trust our king to provide our needs our hopes, and our future. And when we seek him first and align our lives with his will, we'll not, we'll not just find what we need, but our lives will be filled with abundance and peace. If you want to be that person and recommit to it, would you consider reading this out loud with me together? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things I heard you. I heard you loud and clear. But deep inside me, I heard this little voice. Did you? That said, yeah, but. We can do this, brother and sister. We can. We can hold in the hard times. We can make. God's will, our first ingredient and top priority. We can be like the Apostle Paul, who heard, knew these teachings of Jesus. And he said, when life turns upside down, I can do this. May his words become our words. Philippians 4. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's kingdom living. Let's seek him first. Brother and sister, I know it's a struggle. We all struggle with it. We'll be praying for you. We're going to sing the song in just a moment. Was it Living by Faith? I hope that becomes a declaration. It doesn't mean we have this all down, but we do it by faith. And I hope you'll sing that song as a declaration. If we can pray for you, we'd love to. You can come down front. We'd enjoy, we'd appreciate, we'd, we'd feel honored to pray for you. Also, we have a couple of shepherds and their wives that will be in the parlor. It's just in the hallway right behind me. They're going to be there praying anyway. Why don't you join them and let them know of your special concerns. But friend, if you've never given your life to Christ, we just talked about kingdom living. That's what it's about. It's making him first. It's not easy. That's why we have to submit to his will. And one of the ways we submit to that, as you've probably been studying about, is in the waters of baptism. If you've been studying and you know what it means, who Jesus is and what it means to give your life to him, we'd love to come alongside you as you gave him your life and begin that new life, kingdom living. If we can help you anyway, we invite you to come as we stand up and sing. I care not today what tomorrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine.